And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out in the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Pause. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. I think sometimes we read scripture, we just slide over stuff. There's a fire going on, but nothing's being consumed. What would we call that? A miracle, right? God is about to intervene in the life of Moses. Verse 3 says this, And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bushes, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place with which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, let me give you three reasons. And here's the first reason in these verses. The first reason why we can trust God because of who he is. First of all, he is holy. That's why. One of the reasons we think about who God is and the nature and the character of God, one reason we can trust him is because God, he is is holy. Now, when you look at the passage, what I love is, who does God call out to in the bush? Who does he call out to? Not a trick question. Who? Moses. Now, why is that important? Well, just think about the story of Moses. Moses was somebody when he grew up through Egypt. He was adopted. You know, Pharaoh's daughter raised him as her own, even though it was actually Moses' mother who was the servant that raised him, which we're going to talk about Jacobed on Mother's Day. But he was raised in the palace of the Egyptian. He was raised in royalty. And yet he understood his Hebrew roots, and he understood what God had done in his life. And there was a day that came that he saw one of his own people being totally beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster, and something in Moses raised up, and Moses went and killed the guy. And then he hid the body, and then he ran for his life. So before God had spoken to Moses, 40 years ago, Moses was somebody. But now, he's a nobody. He's a shepherd. In the middle of the wilderness. Now, why am I pointing it out? Because it's important for us to know God never forgot Moses. Now, why am I telling us that? Because I think we can go through life. I think we can go through stories. We can go through seasons of struggle and doubt and all those things. And somewhere in the back of our mind, we have this feeling of like, maybe God has forgotten me. And I want you to know God has not forgotten you. God has a purpose for every one of our lives. You are not forgotten. Moses wasn't forgotten. And when God speaks to Moses, he tells him three things. He says, first of all, don't come near. Stop. See, Moses was intrigued with the burning bush, right? And he wants to see it. And and if you see something, what are you going to want to do eventually? You're going to want to go over and touch it, right? And what does God say? He says, hey, don't draw near to me. Stop. Now, here's what God is telling Moses. Moses, before you enter into my presence... You better make preparation. Before you come into my presence, there needs to be some preparation in your life. Stop right where you're at, Moses, because if you come the way you're coming right now, you're not going to last. If you're coming into my presence, Moses, if you want to see me, know me, and be close to me, stop right where you're at, and we got to make some preparation. Now, just real quick, I want you to think about this. On Sunday mornings, 845, there's a group of us that pray that set up and do all this stuff. And hopefully every week I remember this simple truth. As we get ready to go teach small groups, as we get ready to get ready for this worship service, and I tell our group, I even said this morning, I said this, let's make sure as we enter into today, we enter in with a great sense of expectation. 
Now, what am I telling people? I want us to make sure before we enter Bible study and before we enter time of worship that we have made adequate preparation of our heart to meet with the holy God. Why did Moses need to make preparation? Because God is holy. And he's about to be in the presence of holiness. Listen, you don't casually walk into the presence of a holy God. Let me just ask you this. Okay, how many shop at Walmart? Anybody? There's a few people that need to be redeemed. Okay, so you shop at Walmart, right? No, I'm just kidding. You go to Walmart. You just casually, I mean, how many of you, this is a really big question. How many of you have ever shopped at Walmart in your pajamas? Oh, there's a bunch of liars. Thank you, Manny, because everybody else is, okay, Michael, thank you. Okay, some of you are like lying. You're like lying, dogs. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. All right, Mandy, since you go to Walmart in your pajamas, right, would you ever enter into the White House to see the president or the royal place in England to see the queen in your PJs? No, you would do what? You would make adequate preparation, right? Now listen to me before we go any further because it's kind of a sidebar. How many of us really, before you walk through those curtains, said, I have made preparation to meet with the holy God? And you say, well, Doug, maybe I didn't. Well, that's why most of us may leave today and nothing's changed in our life because we made no preparation. If you don't make preparation, you're not setting yourself up to meet with him. And he says, Moses, before you come any closer, bro, before you, before you get close to me, you've got to prepare yourself. Because my presence, it's holy. And you need to be ready. And then God tells him what preparation to make. The second thing he says is, say, no, don't draw near to me. He says, take off your sandals. Take off your sandals. And you say, well, that's an odd thing for God to say. Well, it wasn't odd at all because in that day and in that culture, freed people wore shoes. Servants went barefoot. In that culture, freed people wore shoes and servants went barefoot. So what message is God sending Moses? Moses, you're about to move from just being a free wanderer to being my mouthpiece. You're about to become my servant in a way like you've never dreamed of. So Moses, I want you to take your sandals off because you're going to put aside your rights as a freed person and you're going to pick up your responsibility of being my servant. See, what was God telling Moses? Moses, I want you to humble yourself. And for Moses to take off his sandals was an act of humility. It was an act of surrender. Why? Because he's about to meet with the holy God. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've been in church, maybe not you, but I've been in church when the preacher's talking about something and something in me wants to bow up and go, well, who are you to tell me that? Anybody else been like that? Okay, yeah, thanks. Only one other truthful person. Okay, but you have, maybe even here, right? Maybe even here, you're like, hey, Doug, who are you to be telling me that? Something in us bows up. Listen, part of the worship experience, part of adequate preparation is for us to enter into and to make sure that we've humbled ourselves before a holy God. That we say, God, I lay down my rights and I pick up my responsibility as your mouthpiece, as your child of the Most High God. I need to humble myself. And then he says this, and this is my favorite part. Don't draw near to me. Make preparation. Take off your sandals. Act of humility. Because the place you're standing is what? It's holy ground. Now, was the spot holy? No. It's a mountain. What made it holy? It was the presence of God, right? The reason the place was holy is because God was there. Just a real quick question, all right? This is not a trick question, so I'm not trying to trick you. Just a real big question. Are you ready? Is God's presence with us this morning? Is this holy ground? 
Oh, no, Doug, this is Columbia Elementary. You've mistaken it, right? We've got pipe and drape here. We've got these chairs. We've got this ugly tile on the floor. you got this carpet, which I'm not really sure what that's for. And he came, I mean, Doug, this is just a school. No, 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 no. I would, I would say you're wrong. This is no different than the mountain was that day. What makes a difference is the presence of God. And the presence of God makes this a holy place. Why? Because he is holy, right? And he's here. He said, Moses, listen, you need to stop in your tracks. You need to make preparation to meet with me, which means you need to take this act of humility, take off your sandals, because when you step in, you're stepping into the presence of holiness. Because where you're standing, it's holy. Now, when you think about God as holy, I want you to understand this. What does it mean that God is holy? A couple of things I want you to write down. First of all, it means he's perfect. He's perfect. You know what that means when you say he's perfect? That means that God is without fault. There is no fault in him. There is no flaw in him. He is perfect. He, <laughs> you love this one, he is always right. Always. It would have been hard to be around Jesus if you were the half-brother, wouldn't it, right? Because if something happens again broken in the home, Mary goes, who did it? Well, we know it wasn't Jesus, right? Why? Because he is always right. God is perfect. That's what it means he's holy. It also means, listen, holiness means that God is not only perfect, but God is pure. There is no corruption in him at all. None. There is no ill motive in him at all. So when we sit back and we think of our lives and think maybe God's getting back at us and God's pay, making us pay the price and God's vengeful toward us, we are missing it because God is pure. Whatever God does is a reflection of his holiness, not a reflection of the fact he wants to pay you back. He's pure. There's no corruption in him. But last of all, and most importantly, holiness means he's set apart. He's set apart. You know what that means? There is no other God. He's it. And what Moses had to understand is, you're about to enter the presence of a holy God. So you better make preparation, Moses. You better make preparation. And that preparation is, you need to commit an act of humility where you lay down your rights and you pick up your responsibilities because when you meet with me, you're meeting with a God who is holy. A God whose presence and his glory is so big that you can't handle it. What did Moses end up doing? He did what? He hid his face because he knew he couldn't look on God and still live. See, why can we trust God? Because he's holy. Right? Are you with me? Say amen. amen. Now listen, for many of us, we struggle with this. And I think one reason we struggle trusting God sometimes is because we have forgotten that God is holy. We've forgotten he is perfect. He is pure. And there is no one like our God. The song we sing, I love it. There's no rival and there is no equal. He's it. And because we've forgotten he's holy, guess what? Because we've forgotten he's holy, when we come here on Sunday morning through small groups or this worship service, we don't make the preparation needed to meet with him. And therefore we leave and nothing's ever changed. If we want God to change something in our heart, we need to remember that he is Holy. Second of all, look at the next couple of verses here. We see the second thing, verse 7 through 10. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings 
And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of my people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send who? I will send who? You to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Why can we trust God? First of all, he is holy. Second of all, because he is compassionate. And this is one of those passages, honestly, I'm just going to tell you, I always come back to this, and you probably hear me say it a thousand times, because I hope we never get over it. And here's what I mean. I love it when he says, and I heard the cries of my people, and I know their sufferings. Do you think God hears you? When you cry out to him, you think that you have his ear? Well, no, I don't really think I do, Doug, because the truth of the matter is he's got a lot of people to consider, right? He's got a lot of people to think about. There's a lot of people in worse shape than I'm in. So when I cry, I'm not sure if God really hears me. Listen, this passage reminds me that when the people of God cry out to the God that they worship and serve, he hears them. Not only does he hear you, he knows your sufferings. Now, that word know there, I love that word. We're going to come back to it next week. That word know in the Hebrew is the word yada. And it means an intimate knowing, a knowing like a husband knows a wife. When the two become one flesh, that's what it means for them to know each other. He said, that's how God knows you. He knows you more intimately than you will ever know yourself. He knows he hears your cry, but he knows you. And guess what God did because he heard the cries? He raised up a deliverer. He raised up Moses. And I want to point this out because of this. I think some of the times the reason we don't trust God is because we're not sure that God hears us. We're not sure that God really cares about us. And we need to be reminded the reason we can trust him is knowing is he holy, but he's compassionate. He hears you. He knows you. And he acts on your behalf. Let me give you one more. And this is maybe my favorite of all. In verse 11 through 14. But Moses said to God, now, but Moses, let's just stop out there for a minute. Because you know what's coming, right? You already know the story. See, God has just gave this great vision to Moses. He just told Moses, man, I've heard the cries of millions of my people. I know their affliction. And Moses, I'm going to raise up other people. No, no, no. I'm going to send you, Moses. See, it's okay when God's going to raise up other people. But when he points the finger at me, that gets a little bit more intense, doesn't it? Are you with me on that one? It wasn't, hey, Moses, we're going to get a herd of people to do this. No, Moses, it's going to be you. So Moses, I'm sure at some point, tunes out and begins to think, what can I do to tell God I'm the wrong guy for the job? So it starts here in verse 7. I mean, I'm sorry, verse 11. But Moses, meaning Moses is about to give us a stream of excuses, right? It says this, but Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, but I will be with you, the Lord said, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you shall be brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, listen to this, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What am I going to say? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Now, I want you to think about this in context for a moment. Forty years ago, Moses was a somebody. Now he's a nobody. 
And he's like, God, if you send me back, what makes you think they're going to listen to me? And he's like, Moses, calm down, bro. He said, I'm going to be with you. Don't forget, you're going with my presence. You're going in my power. I'm going to be with you, Moses. Don't forget that. And then Moses asked the premium question. You right here it is. He says, but God, when I go, if I go, what do I say that your name is? When they ask me who sent me, what name do I give them? Now, this was actually a very interesting question that Moses asked. And the thing I think we need to think about is why did Moses ask it? Well, first of all, what we know is these people were in Egypt. And Egypt had a lot of different gods, small g, non-existent, fake gods that they worshipped. And every god had a name. And the name of those gods reflected what they were a god of. And he says, listen, if I go and tell them that you've sent me, i got to give them a name. And i got to give them a name that reveals your character and who you are. So when I say your name, they'll go, oh, we know who that is. So God, what is your name? And God didn't say, Fred. Right? He didn't say that. What did God say? Here's my name. You ready? Here it is. I am who I am. Now, I don't know about you, but that's hard for me to get my hands around, right? I mean, that's, I mean it's not like I'm saying, hey, I'm Doug from Missouri. You know, I'm Elijah from Daytona. I'm Don from Chris. I mean, that's different than that. He's saying, I am. Now, what's the implication of that? He's saying, listen, I'm so much bigger than your mind can take. My name and my essence, there's not one single word in the vocabulary that can truly encompass the beauty and the glory and the magnitude of who I am. I can't give you one name, Moses, so I'm going to give you something that trumps every other name that makes me supreme and sovereign and majestic and bigger than what your mind can fathom. And here's my name. I am. I am. That's my name, Moses. I am who I am. Now think about it. When you go through the Old Testament, there are names we associate with God. Yahweh, Elohim, Jehovah, Adonai, all great names, but none of them depict the depth, the width, the breadth, and the magnitude of who he really is. They all are a small nugget of the character and the nature of God. And God says, here's my name. You ready? Here it is, Moses. It's not Fred. It's I am. So when you go, you just tell him I am sent you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that name, there's something about it. First of all, there's something about it that should draw us in that goes, you know what? One reason I can trust God is because he is the great I am. There's not one name that can truly comprehend the magnitude and the majesty of who he is. In fact, he's so big and he's so grand and he's so marvelous that he couldn't even give us a name that would confine him or limit him. So he gave us a name that transcends eternity. I just am. I was, I is, and I always will be. I just am. I am. You got that. Some of you got that, right? Okay. I am. I transcend space. I transcend time. I just am. Am. Now, the implications of this name, I am, are huge, and I want you to write these down. First of all, it implies that I am is the God who exists. When he said I am, he said I am the God who exists. I am the one true God. There is no equal, and I am eternal. That's what it means. When he says I am, he's saying, listen, I am the God who exists. There is no other God, and I exist for all eternity. 
But it also means I am the God who exists independently. I'm the God who exists independently. Here's what I mean. Though I create, I've never been created. Though I have the master, the, the craftsmanship in my creation, I've always been. There was never a moment I've never been. Now that blows your mind, doesn't it, a little bit? That God is eternal, that there is no creator of God. He's always been. There wasn't like, now if you believe in the Mormon system, they believe that, hey, that if you're a good Mormon, you become a God of another universe. And that Elohim was a great Mormon sometime in another world, and he inherited this galaxy. Well, listen, what he's saying is, I am, I am independent. I'm in, listen, I am self-sufficient. I don't need anything, and I don't need anybody. I am the God who exists independently. It also means I am the God who is unchangeable. What you see in him is who he always was and who he always will be. Will God always be holy? Yes. Will God always be compassionate? Yes. He will always be. He is the God. The I am the God who is unchangeable. The theological word is immutable. I never change. I'm always the same. My will is perfect and never needs to be altered because I am. I am the same yesterday, today, and how long? Forever. See, when he says I am, it would have sent a message to Israel and it sent a message to, to Moses that I am the God who exists and I am the God who exists independently and I am the God who is unchangeable. But there's one more thing that, that may be the most important thing I'm going to say today and it's this last point. When he says I am, it means I am the God who becomes. I know what you're thinking. That's really weird. I know. I know it's weird. I want to be weird today. I am the God who becomes. Here's what I mean. Whatever your need is, he is that. Whatever you need, he is that. In fact, you see this in the life of Jesus. In John's gospel, seven times Jesus says, I am. Seven times he's drawing the fact that he is I am, which is an awesome thing, that he's not just Jesus, God in the flesh, that he is the great I am, that he is co-equal and co-existent with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He says, I am. And here's what Jesus said. He said, I am the bread of life. So for those of you that are looking for something to satisfy the hunger of your soul, guess what? I am that. If you want to find satisfaction for your soul and something you're hungry for, guess where you can find it? In me. I'm the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. So for those of you that are living in darkness and you're trying to find your way to the light, guess where the light is? It's me. I am the light of the world. And then he says, I am the door. So for those of you longing for salvation and want to find your path to heaven, there's a door. And that door, guess what? Are you with me? It's me. I'm the door. He says, I am the door. Then he says, I am the good shepherd. For those of you that are looking for someone to provide for you, to protect you, and to look over you with care and consideration, guess what? It's me. And then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. For those of you that are looking for life beyond death, for those of you looking for something that can overcome death, hell, and the grave, it is found in, guess what? Me. I am the resurrection life. And then he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to follow except through me. So if you're looking for absolute truth, guess where you can find it? Are you getting the point now? In me. And then there's one more he says. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. 
So if you want connection with God, guess where you find it? In me, because I am. Right? See, listen, here's what we need to understand. When God says, I am, he is sending a message that he is the only God. He exists. That he is the God that exists, not these Egyptian gods. That he's the God that exists independently. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But by his grace, he chooses to use us. And he's saying, I'm a God that's unchangeable. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. But listen, I am also the God who becomes. Whatever you need, I'm the only one that can meet that need. So God says, listen, Moses, you ready? Here it is, Moses. I want you to go to these people and say, I am sent you. The I am who says, I am the independent, the unchangeable, eternal source of life, source of blessing, the alpha and omega, the one who was and is and is to come. Moses, when you show up on the scene, all you have to do is just say, I am sent me to you. And they're going to get it. See, I love this because it reminds me that one of the reasons we can trust God, the why is, yes, he is holy. Yes, he's compassionate. But listen, he is, I am. He's the great I am. He's sovereign and he reigns. So here's my question for all of us today. Here it is. What do you need him to be for you today? When you look at your life and go, what is your greatest spiritual need? What is it this morning? In fact, grab your, grab your uh, a connection card. Everybody grab your connection card real fast. If you have a connection card, just grab it. You don't have to turn this in. You can stick it in your Bible. Just grab it real fast. Just everybody grab one. should be in the back of the seat in front of you. If not, just steal your neighbors. It's okay. Or tear it in half and give it to them. Here's what I want you to think about just for a moment. What is your greatest need spiritually today? Some of you would say, well, Doug, my greatest need is we need a marriage counselor. He is the great marriage counselor. Doug, I'm struggling and I need a friend. He is the friend that's better than any friend. Doug, we need a financial advisor. Guess what? He's the best financial advisor you've ever talked to. Hey, Doug, I need someone to provide for me because I'm struggling and not sure where things are going. Guess what? He is the great provider. Doug, I, I, I'm hurting and, I, and I, I'm sick and I need a healer. Guess what? He is the healer that you need. Whatever you need this morning, and I'm not trying to sound cliche, and I'm not trying to sound pastoral or churchy, but the truth of the matter is, whatever you need this morning, you can only find it in him. Why? Because he is the great I am. He is what you need. So right now, real quickly, I'm going to ask you just to write down. Don't look off anybody else's paper. You can't cheat. No cheating today. I just want you to write down, what is the greatest need you have in your life? Right now, take 10 seconds. Write that down. What's the greatest need you have in your life today? And after you've written it down, would you just acknowledge this? There's only one person that can truly meet that need. And it's him. Amen? You believe that? So what I'm asking you today, if you believe that, if you have a need in your life and you know he's the only one can meet it, will you just give that need to him? Maybe you want to come and just lay it at the altar. Maybe you want to turn it into the offering plate when it passes a little bit later. Maybe you just want to stick in your Bible and think about it all week long. I don't really care. What I do know is this, that whatever your greatest need is today, the only answer is Jesus. The only answer is him. And if you recognize that today, would you commit saying, Lord, I've learned today one reason why I can trust you. And I can trust you because of who you are, you are holy, you are compassionate, but you are 
the great I am. Let's all stand together and we pray. Let's all stand together. Father, we thank you for today. And I thank you for this passage, Lord. There's so much we learn about who you are in this moment. There's so much we learn about what your nature and your character is. And God, I just pray for us today. I pray that we would be reminded that you are holy. And maybe one of the reasons we struggle trusting is because we've forgotten that. We forgot that you are perfect, that you are pure, that you are set apart. And therefore, we come into this place week in and week out, and we've made no preparation. And God, if we've forgotten that, would you break our hearts today? Would you remind us that you are holy and we are not? And when we step into your presence, we should step into your presence with gratitude and humility and reverence and awe. And maybe we haven't done that today. So in a moment as we sing, God, may we do that for the first time. Or God, maybe we realize today we can trust you because you're compassionate. You hear us, you know our afflictions, and you act on our behalf. But God, my greatest prayer today is this, that we would know that we can trust you because you are the great I am. You told Israel, you told Moses, and you're telling us that you are the only God that exists. That you are a God that is self-sufficient in need of nothing and no one. That you are a God that never changes. But that you're a God who becomes whatever we need. Our greatest need can only be satisfied with you. So God, for some people, they need a, they need a counselor. Maybe they need a comforter. Maybe they need a friend. Maybe they need an Abba Father to wrap their arms around them. And if that's the case, Lord, may they, may they just take that, this moment and say, Lord, I know that all that I need can only be found in you, and I, I trust you with it today, Lord. I know that you are the great I am, and I trust you. But God, for some people today, what they really need is a Savior. They've been trying to do life on their own. They've been trying to work their way into right standing with you. And may you let them know it's never going to happen that way. That what they need more than anything is a Savior, one who can step in on their behalf, one that can forgive our sins, and one that can pay the price for them. And that can only be done and was only done through the person and the work of Jesus. And if they're looking for a Savior today, Lord, I pray they would surrender their life to him. God, may we acknowledge what our need is. May we commit to knowing that you're the only one that can meet it. And may we declare with our mouth and with our heart today that we trust you. We love you, Lord. It's in your precious and your glorious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Here's what I'm asking you to do. If you want to take that card and just as an act of doing something and want to throw it on the steps, you can come up and do that. If you want to put it in the offering basket when it passes, you can do that. If you just want to keep it in your Bible as a reminder that he is everything that you need, you can do that. But what I am asking you to do before you leave today, would you respond somehow? Would you respond by saying, Lord, everything that I need in my life can only be satisfied in you. And so I commit to trusting you because of that. You are the great. I am. And so may we be faithful to respond as the Lord might be leading us.